uh, the Edelmans. Robert and Jackie, come on up here. You've got a testimony. Ben Franklin said a lot of stuff, uh, right? Uh, have a seat, right? Or at least in that vicinity over there. Uh, he, you know, uh, what is a, a penny saves, a penny earned, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. He also said there's, only, there's two things certain in life, death and taxes. That was Ben Franklin that said that. And uh, uh, actually, I'm going to give you some things that are more certain, I think, than that today. But we've got a tax story for you here. Listen to this testimony, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. You ready? Ready. I'm ready. I'm so excited about what you guys are, have to share. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Robert. Um, firstly, I want to tell you, we serve a God that does miracles, right? For sure, 100%. And we're about to share a very personal uh, testimony with you. <laughs> and Anyway, uh, I've only told one person this testimony in my entire life. That guy, about a month ago. Better be careful to do that with me. Right? <laughs> you wind up up here. <laughs> All right, look what happened. All right, so you're the second person to hear this. Your family. Okay? Here. My you're family your doesn't know it. My three sisters, my your brother, nobody. We're family here, right? Yeah. So anyway, and let me paint the picture real briefly. It's April 15th, 1999, Denver, Colorado. So we're at home. I have a 17-year-old uh, daughter of mine uh, who is living with us. I had our two small children. Jackie and I gave our lives back to Christ a few years earlier, loving the Lord. Everything was great. Um, it's April 15th, tax day, and the, and the bill's due, and we don't have any money. I don't know if anyone has ever been in that situation before where you're at that crossroad. You do not have the money. And Caesar wants what belongs to Caesar. And if you don't give Caesar what he... Hey, man, that's my sermon. You I know. I, I'm, I, <laughs> he'll take your house. He'll take your bank account. He'll ruin your life. It was absolutely horrific. So I was in my home office in Denver. I got, I'm listening to the radio, and I hear a guy that comes on with a, um, an interview of a guy that says... You do not have to pay income tax. There is no law that makes you legally liable. I'm like, Jackie, guess what? It's better than the lottery. And so I went down and told her. She's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm crazy. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So anyway, we learned a little bit more about this guy. I saw him on a national television show also interviewed. And he's like, dude, you do not have to pay federal income tax. I'm like, no way. You, you got to be kidding me. You know, you go to jail for stuff like that. Everybody knows that, right? You lose your stuff, you get real big trouble. So we're at a crossroad, and we're in big, big trouble. So we decided to check this guy out even further. He has a seminar. We, go, we, we bought his book. We went to a seminar. We bought his program. And he convinced us that there is no law that makes us legally liable for paying tax. We're thinking, there's no way. That's still crazy. Who's going to believe that? So I decided to go one step further. The guy had an office in Las Vegas, right off of the Strip. And, and, and here I, I decided I'm going to go down there, go see his office, see what's going on. So I show up at his office, and I see this giant sign. And the sign says, this is an actual sign that's two stories tall on Sahara Avenue, right off of the Strip. And it says, why pay income taxes when no law says you have to? I'm like, you got it. This is real. 
This is real. It's happening. This is unbelievable. So what we decided to do with the $30,000 that we owed, we decided to send in a tax return saying we owe zero. So we kept filing zero returns, and soon 30000 became 70000 became 150000 plus penalties and interest, and on and on. We felt foolish. We knew we had made a mistake, as many of the people we were getting information from were ending up wearing orange jumpsuits. I can't tell you how many countless hours, hundreds probably, I spent searching on the internet for a magic bullet to escape from the trap we had set for ourselves, using dial-up. <laughs> That's like 200 hours for that. In August 2005, just a few months after we bought our dream home, the ground started buckling beneath us and we entered into a new, intensified, nightmarish 12-year battle with the tax collectors, where we faced losing our home, our income, our children's sense of security, and of course, we're also totally stifled in our ability to bless others. We finally gave up and fell on our sword with the IRS and with the help of a very capable attorney who God also miraculously brought into our life, we're pursuing various strategies, including even a year-long move to Arkansas. Our debt had now doubled to almost a million dollars and we were feeling foolish. You owed a million dollars? A million dollars. We were feeling foolish, hopeless, and frightened. We lived on the leafy end of the branch, expecting even a light breeze would send us crashing to the ground. But as I often told Robert, they can kill you, but they can't eat you. <laughs> it's hard to describe how oppressive this situation was with every daily decision we made going through the filter of, what's the IRS gonna think about it? We are constantly coming up with various contingency plans, including living overseas, or just traveling around in an RV for a while. I even looked up how much a yurt would cost in Canada. You think that was bad? Let me tell you, when you get deep and it's dark, uh, I owe a million dollars, and I have a million dollar life insurance policy, and Satan got a hold of me, and I'm thinking, if I take my own life, my family will be free. That's dark. I didn't do it. <laughs> the only thing that sustained us was our trust in God and the knowledge that our Lord is more powerful even than the IRS. We also kept our ordeal a secret, not telling any friends or family members except my sister. Last November, I was having dinner with my 23-year-old daughter who wanted to bring her fiancé and their friends to stay for Christmas. I tried to change the subject, but she persisted until I finally broke down sobbing and blurted out the whole tale of the last 18 years. Telling her I couldn't commit because I didn't even know if we would still have a house. We never quit praying, and just a couple of weeks later, I received a call from our attorney, who was breathlessly excited to tell me the miraculous news that the IRS had approved our offer to pay them just 2% of the amount we owed. 
Needless to say, we had a fabulous Christmas with a house full of kids. It was still five months before we received confirmation on the deal, but we were free at last, and we praised God that we were free at last. With tears of joy streaming down our faces, we immediately turned our attention to God, who is our provision, our hope, and our deliverer, and has always provided a safety net below us, even when we made disastrously dumb decisions. We're speaking to you today because we wanted to share our unshakable faith that God loves us and you and cares about all the details of our lives. We also learned that in the midst of every storm, there is joy. We kept Jesus at the center of our marriage and so remained strong and faithful to him and to each other. As Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Thank you. That's crazy. I know. So you were uh, faced in a tough spot, $30,000. You don't know where you get that, and you get an answer from Vegas. Yes. <laughs> Everything good happens in Vegas, right? <laughs> yeah. It wow. should have stayed in Vegas. Stayed there. <laughs> yeah, we should stay there. So I can't, that was, eight, that was 18 years ago. 18 years ago of secrecy and hiding from everybody. And so for like the first five, you are uh, thinking this is working. Yes, because we had no negative reactions. Everything's good. Bought the dream house. Everything's golden. We made it. It was true. Not. There really is no law. We weren't doing an infomercial. No. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do they, any of this. Don't try this at this home. This is pain and suffering it doesn't that no work. one needs in their life. I so assure you. So then they start to pursue you like... They can, and because you owed over a million dollars. A million dollars. Yeah. And uh, I, give us a picture of what life was like. I mean, you moved. Uh, so, so every decision you're making about life is in light of this? Every single decision we ever made, it prohibited us from investing, doing things, giving the way we are built to do, and because we love to give very generously. But that put, put, the, you know, put the stop to a lot of that. Yeah, so it changed our, tried to change our DNA. So, so even, um, you know, because uh, the IRS was scanning um, our bank accounts constantly, we had to think, well, if I go travel to see my parents in Texas, will they look at that as an extraneous expense? I mean, every single little detail. For all of those years. For all of all those, those years. years. And so even we were getting ready to do a, um, a men's ministry launch uh, this spring. And, and uh, how did that unfold? Well, I really have a heart for the men. And I, at one time I even came up and said, hey, there's something coming in the spring, the men's ministry and all of that. And I just felt like my heart was not clean because I didn't even confess this to anyone. Now you all know. So I feel better. And uh, so well, we we got, God was saying, go, go, go. And as soon as uh, Charlie said, go, let's do it, uh, that's when the crap hit the fan. And we're like, this is all over. We're out. Gonna lose the house. Where's the yurt? Yeah. And so then uh, April is when the attorney called and 
or something like well, this? Well, actually, he called in November. Oh, okay. In November, but we didn't. We weren't really, really sure until you get the final letter from the IRS, and that Which was is about five, six weeks ago. Yeah. What's the likelihood that the IRS would do that? Almost never. Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. But God is a God of miracles, <clears throat> and what I know is you have to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and your heart to God, because we never left God. He still loved us, even though we sinned, screwed up, dropped the ball, and we are. I was ashamed. That's why I didn't even whisper a word to my family, my my brothers and sisters. They look up to me. Hmm. Now they'll hear this someday. Well, thanks for sharing this. It sounds to me like what you have is a. Uh, it said freedom books. On that thing. That's called bondage books? Bondage books, yeah. Those are freedom books. It was like the opposite. I know. You thought you were out of this and, and be able to have freedom, and the more you pursued that, the more bondage you got in. And at the same time, uh, this, the, what you've told me is uh, how you followed Jesus and the more freedom that you had. Yes. He is where the freedom actually lies, right? That's the answer. It's in Jesus only, nothing else. We would have never made it through this without him. With um, raising two healthy, happy young adults with our marriage still firmly intact and better than ever. Jesus was there. He was everything. God is a God of miracles, and we are actual miracles. So I think um, there's certainly people here who carry um, a burden. Um, it could be a tax burden. It could be uh, a relational burden. It could be... Uh, something that they've carried a long time. And uh, your testimony, you guys are filled with faith right now, aren't you, about what God does. Um, why don't you uh, just pray uh, f for them, sure. us? Yes. Lord, Heavenly Father, we lift you up because you are an awesome God and you are the Lord of Lords. If there's anyone here today that's suffering financially or any other way or some other shame in their life, Father, let them, let them know that you love them deeply. You care about them deeply. You want them to be drawn to you. You should bless, bless their situation, Father. Give them the wisdom to seek good counsel and surround themselves. Don't keep things quiet like we did. That's a mistake. So when you think you're going to make a mistake, Father, just... Help people get their hearts right, come to you, learn more about you, because you are a forgiving God. You are not a judging God. You're there the, every step of the way, and you were there for us. And I just pray that you'll be there for everyone here and bless them in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give these guys a hand, and thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. Just set that right down there. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> this is a message about taxes, kind of. It's actually something of a, a lot deeper than taxes, and thank you for sharing that, uh, because everybody has an opinion about taxes, don't they? How it's being spent, what's happening, or whatever. And uh, I think G uh, the, G Jesus gets asked a, task, a tax question uh, that, um, in fact, not because he's an accountant, but uh, he's, because he's a rabbi. And uh, they ask him a question about taxes. Let me pick it up here in Luke 20. I've uh, got to roll pretty quick. Thanks for sharing that. It really meant a lot to me. Um, 
But underneath the tax situation here is a life-changing reality that can set and change the trajectory of your life and reframe uh, uh, your perspective and how you roll. And I, w- I want to unpack that for you. Um, in verse 20, it says, Keeping a close watch on him, that's the religious leaders, the Jews, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. Let me just cue it up for you again here. This is Holy Week, Passion Week, probably uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, they are trying to uh, uh, convict Jesus of some crime so they can get him out of the way. And so they are watching how they might do that. And uh, their plan here is to get two fellas who look like the rest of the crowd, who are spies, it says, to come and uh, uh, try and get him to say something that will uh, cause him to be turned over to the governor, Pilate, and then they won't have to deal with him. Pilate will take care of him and kick him out uh, or kill him or whatever. That's what's going on here. And so they send, with this large crowd around, these guys to come ask some questions. A question, and they, they've been working on this question a while. Uh, this, is, this is quite a question, and you know the question, but underneath it is beautiful. Um, they come and, and they questioned him, and they say, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, so this is important because uh, they think, as they frame it uh, for Jesus in front of the crowd, that they've got him. Because Jesus, since you teach rightly and you teach the law correctly, everybody knows that we're not supposed to be uh, paying tax to some other person who thinks they're God. Matter of fact, the second uh, commandment says don't even have an image of anything. And sure enough, who's on that coin? Some other God. And then it also says, they say, and you don't show partiality to anybody. And there just happens to be a guy who wants partiality shown to him, Caesar. And so they got him. They got him. Because if he undermines the law, the people won't follow him. And he's showing partiality to uh, uh, Caesar. If he sticks with the law and says, don't pay taxes, uh, because Caesar's not somebody to pay taxes to, then he gets killed by the Romans. They got him. This is a good one. How's he going to get out of this, if that was his goal, actually? Because they're going to have a debate. But they come acting, instead of like they're big religious guys, they're acting like they're the crowd. Because everybody in the crowd had the same question going on for them. This is the perfect question to uh, to pose to Jesus. Because the whole crowd was wondering that because they're living in the tension of that. They're living in the tension of uh, of knowing that the, the law... Uh, says not to pay taxes to somebody like that, and that uh, if they don't, they will be disciplined, killed, kicked out, whatever. And they live in that tension, and they pay their taxes uh, so that they can uh, breathe, right? And, they, and so now the question is, hmm, everybody goes, whoa, that is the question I want to know the answer to. Do we pay or do we not pay? And I, uh, <clears throat> I think they were trying to trap him, but I like what Jesus d- does here. I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed 
uh, like never before the last two years of seeing who Jesus is and how he rolls and what he does. And there's some indication of Jesus' attitude, heart, as he responds to this. Okay, so... uh, The spies questioned him. I want to repeat that. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. Because if you say something wrong, we got you. And you do not show partiality. Because if you do that, and we know you're not going to do that, so you're going to just hang yourself here. Here's the question. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it right for us? And everybody went, yeah, I wonder what he's going to say here. Is it right for us or not? kind of hope he says not, and this is the rebellion. Nobody wants to pay, so they're probably, I don't know. This is beautiful what Jesus does here. He goes, show me a denarius. I bet he thought about this for a while. One thing I always see uh, as I'm reading the gospel here in Luke, I see more, more cadence and space, timing of it. They ask the question, and uh, we read it just whew, fast, but I think Jesus probably sat back just like he doodled in the sand when they were going to throw rocks. And he sits there and he thinks. He prays, what are you doing right now, Lord? What are you, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And uh, he stops and he goes, then he says, show me a denarius. A denarius uh, is a coin that has Caesar's picture on it. It's, it you can only pay the poll tax with uh, coins that are Caesar's. So uh, it's actually one day's wage for a Roman soldier. Um, it's not just a penny, it's, it's a little bit more. And so probably people are digging for one, trying to find one, uh, but then they're kind of going, I'm not sure I'm gonna, do I get that back? That's a day's wages, you know? Uh, it takes a second. So he takes, he, they hand him a coin and he gets it out and I, and I think he looks at it. And then he says, what? You know what it says. It says, whose image and inscription are on it. Most of your versions say portrait. The ones here I say image, that's why we have it up there. Whose portrait is on that thing? Now, it's really interesting because they just turn and they answer. They say Caesar. That's the key to what's happening right here. Because if they think that they're being trapped, they won't answer and it'll be just like Jesus did a couple weeks ago. He'll say, well, if you're not gonna answer me, I'm not gonna answer you. Because uh, we're not in a dialogue here and nothing's happening here. But they answer Caesar. They just say it right off. Caesar. And then, okay, Caesar. And you know the answer. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Now, I, I want to draw out, i got two main things I want to show you here. But the first one is in the tone of Jesus. It says, uh, he said to them, then... And the Greek word then actually uh, is usually translated in more means like well then. It gives some tone there. Jesus did not need to say then. He did not need to be in a conversation. He could have said, give a Caesar what's Caesar's and God what's God's. I want you to see this well then. Because you can hear a little bit about the dialogue. Well then, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and God's what's God's. I know it's a micro point and I'm, I'm putting a little in there. But I think you're seeing how Jesus is with these people because instead of trying to be in a debate that he wins, I believe he's trying to provide an encounter for them. These are foot soldiers. These are not, these are not the big leaders. These are guys who are on assignment. And they answer his question and say, Caesar's on there. Well then, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They, it says they were astonished at the end of this thing. They were astonished. And it says, they were silent. It says, uh, did you see that part? I, I, I ran over too fast. Uh, when Jesus uh, 
in 23, throw 23 up there. It says, he saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a Demarius, a Denarius, <laughs> Demarius Thomas. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah. He, <laughs> I won't even do it. He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a Denarius. He saw through it, but he doesn't speak to it. You know, he doesn't turn to these guys and say, you guys are spies and shame them and get out of here. He could have done that. Or he could have said, took out the mic and dropped the mic. Boom! I just took care of you guys with my answer. And you're silent. I don't think that's what's happening here at all. He doesn't do that. He sees their duplicity and he still engages them. Their duplicity is that what they're doing on the outside isn't what they're doing on the inside. All through Scripture we see him uh, knowing the motives of somebody but seeing the actions on the outside are, are different. You know, we call that hypocrisy. Some of your versions are actually translated hypocrisy. And so here comes these hypocrites to come and, and trap him. And what he does, he goes, well then, you and to the whole crowd, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. I think there's something in that, that Jesus, uh, I think, I think it's, a, it's an expression of his love, to be honest with you. Love God and love people, he's doing it right there. Loving people who don't love him. Loving people who want to uh, trap him. Loving people who uh, are looking for his harm, and he's looking for their good. So he turns and he says, well then. I almost want you to hear his heart in that. That's what I'd like you to hear. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So even when you're blind, burdened, and on some other assignment, Jesus encounters you and says, hey, listen to me. Let's be in a dialogue. I want you to encounter this. And then he makes this statement that's just profound when he says, give to Caesars what's Caesars and God what is God's. Why, is, why were they so astounded? What, what, was so, what was so astounding about that? Why would they be, go silent just because they got whooped on? Ah, no, I think they've actually been engaged in something. What Jesus said is very powerful. He took out that coin. He said, whose picture's on that? And they said, Caesar's. Well, Caesar's picture, image, that's why I called this sermon, this sermon title is Image That, instead of Imagine That, saw whose picture's on that and said, well, his picture's on that, give that to him. And give to God what's God's. Now, as he's saying, so God gets a portion just like Caesar does of the taxes, and God gets a portion of you, or is there something different that he's saying here? Well, if you're Jewish and if you're them, you understood something really big right there. It goes all the way back to Genesis uh, 1, 26. Is that the right one? Steve, throw it up. It says, let us, if you got it, create man in our image. In our likeness, he created him. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? Apparently, his image is on man. Now think of Jesus' words. Whose picture's on that? Whose picture's on that? And give that to God. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us, let us kind of cool, that's plural, by the way. Do you see that right there? Us? Seeing the Trinity right there in the, in the mix right there? 
So uh, actually, it's, I think if you really want to understand that, uh, you go back to what these words meant in the Hebrew for that culture at that time. Let's jump back thousands of years before to this time when this happened and this was accounted for. Let us make mankind in our image. Uh, this was fun homework, I've got to be honest with you. Um, in that time, uh, this language would have meant something to those who heard it in a specific way. Uh, in ancient cultures, as you know, they had lots of idols, uh, lots of statues, and lots of gods. And uh, here's how uh, those stories roll and how they create one of those. They believed in deities above, deities below that created and provided all kinds of things for them. And uh, most cultures worshipped them. You knew that already. Well, there is a, a pretty common practice apparently in uh, a lot of ancient cultures. How do you make those statues? How do you come up with those idols? Well, um, this is fair, apparently fairly common. Uh, you get uh, a craftsman, an artisan who does that kind of thing, and uh, they cons you consecrate them and they consecrate themselves to the God that uh, they're going to make the statue of, and then that God, after that, will help create with that person the uh, statue that they're making uh, with some of the attributes that that God wants in the, uh, in the statue. And then at the end of that time, uh, apparently, you would uh, take the statue, consecrate it to the deity, and, uh, uh, and uh, they had some interesting ways of doing this in various cultures. Sometimes uh, they would take it to the river and wash it clean. Sometimes they would take them to gardens and put them in gardens. Uh, and then their idea was that that deity or God would impart some of his uh, deityness. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, into, the, uh, into that, and then they would put it in the temple, and then they would be worshiping that God. Only thing about that that's interesting is that those statues never changed in any way. They were just in the temple uh, under that format. So when you, what happens here? Let us make mankind in our image. It says in chapter 3, out of the dust of the ground, he created man. And then what did he do? He breathed life into him. As a matter of fact, you see in Exodus 20, the second commandment, make no image. Why? Well, because he doesn't live in those images. Because those images don't really bear, they might bear some qualities. The interesting thing about this word image in Hebrew is that it's a prototype, not some qualities or attributes. It's begotten from, you are begotten from God created in his image to express who he is and what he does and likes and his plans and all of that. Got all screwed up, chapter 3, didn't it? Got all screwed up. Sin came in and uh, uh, marred that image. A lot of people think uh, that uh, because of that, the image of God is gone. That's not true. There's scriptures that say all through the Bible that talk about don't do this because people are made in the image of God. Uh, James says about the tongue, you can use your tongue to curse or to bless men who were created in the image of God, it says. It's all th so it's marred, and, it, and you look at civilization and mankind, and you go, it doesn't look too much like God, but it's there. People are image bearers of the living God. All through the scripture, it talks about the living God. Not a dead statue, but the living God. Because the reality is, 
He breathed life into us, into mankind, and even into you. And his image is on you. That is crazy powerful that we are image bearers. Okay, so then he says, because you bear the image of God, not just some likenesses, but begotten by God, whose picture is on that? Well, you give that to him, and you give to God what is God's. All of you, all of us, that's what Jesus is saying. That's why they're astonished. That's why they go, what do you do with that? Tax was better than that. Tax was just a part of it. You got to work like 120 days to get past the tax each year. He's saying, I want all of it because it's all his. Give to God what's God's. Now, if you pay tax, and I'm assuming you do, um, they take your money, and we all have opinions about what they do with our money, right? Some of us, we don't like some of what they do with our money, and we want them to do more of what we do want with our money. Uh, but they are supposed to make the kingdom better, right? I mean, you, did, you do get some benefits. You drove on a road over here to get to church. Um, thank you. Us for giving our tax money, right, uh, so that we could do that. And so when you give over to uh, Caesar, now I think what Caesar did with this, he had a bigger palace. Uh, he bought more army so he could expand his kingdom. But if you, and you give your, your money over to Caesar and that's what they do with it. You give your life over to God and that's exactly what he does, the same thing. You are now a resource in his kingdom to expand his kingdom. I believe that's what you're supposed to do. I believe that's the, the reality of it. If you're all his and you give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but God what's God's, now you bring about what he wants to bring about in the world. You're now an agent of his image that brings about transformation in people's lives, a unity that nobody can explain, power for healing and miracles. That's, remember, we've been, this, is, this is all stuff we've talked about in Luke. Up there, coming down here, kingdom of heaven on earth. You are now moving about with his image, which ought to be compelling to people, and his kingdom ought to be growing as a resource because he doesn't need you so he can have a bigger palace. It's actually the opposite, where you give yourself over to Jesus and say, I am yours. He died to correct the marred image, to restore his image in you. That is awesome news. That is, that is beautiful. It says he is, the invisible, he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus is. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And that's why we are being conformed to his likeness. It's all through the scripture. It's the coolest thing ever. That you are image bearers. It's called imagio Dei in Latin. You, image bearers. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you one thing it means. It, it means whether you know Jesus or you don't need just know Jesus, everybody has value. Did you know that? Everybody. Matter of fact, all the moral decisions that are going on around genetic engineering and CRISPR and all that kind of stuff about, uh, they're answered, I think, in the reality of everybody has dignity because everybody was created in the image of God. Even the lesser people, hmm, well, whoever they are. Well, you know who they are. They're not us, right? The least of these or whatever. But whether you're the top of the game in society or you're a person who doesn't have the faculties and is challenged, 
You were created in the image of God. When I hear people talk about, uh, we ought to fix this in this person, or, or, or uh, uh, I, I'm thinking, well, do you, do you think that Down syndrome child doesn't express the image of God? I mean, maybe there's a treatment and you should do that, but I'm not saying. I just want to talk about moral issues. Come back to the value of people. People ought to be valued. Of all people who should understand this, it ought to be Jesus' followers. Jesus' followers are the ones who should get this and be speaking it into the rest of the culture because they're created in the image of God. Oh, whose picture is on it? Well, give him that. The challenge is, is to give all of us, all of ourselves to him. And with ever-increasing glory, 2 Corinthians says, we are being made into his likeness and his image. And as it increases, the beauty of who God is increases. People see it more so. You know what? I, I, there's a ton of stuff. I've been thinking about it for weeks. Of, okay, so what am I going to do? What, do I, what does it look like to be in the image of God? I'm going to just zoom it down to something uh, that you could think about and maybe act on. What makes you come alive? Do you realize God, one of the main things about God is he is passionate and active and engaged in everything you're in. He's present right now. He's in the moment. He has no fear, so I don't know why you do. If we understand that we are in the image of God, we can experience him right now. Worry is, uh, like Pastor Doug said, I loved it, is about thinking about the future without God in it. Ah, that's why I said, we'll worry about that tomorrow. Don't worry, that's tomorrow. Right now, present with God. How do you live? Uh, St. Irenaeus uh, said, the glory of God is a man alive. And then people have added, fully alive. That is beautiful. The glory of God is a man, woman, fully alive, engaged, present, passionate, doing what you're good at. Whatever makes you come alive. Don't you love that? What makes you come alive right now? This is such good news because instead of trying to find freedom and having it lead to more bondage, we give ourselves up and we get freedom to be all that we were meant to be. This is like a big pep talk sermon today. Get fired up because this is crazy good news that being fully alive is being you fully alive. What you love, what brings passion to what you do. You do that and there will be beauty everywhere. You do that, and it will be compelling. Maybe you're quiet. Well, do it quietly. Maybe you're loud. Do it loud. Do it however you are. But do it. I was on my walk yesterday, and uh, I was uh, walking up the cross trail. I do that about once a week. And the third level, who does the cross trail? Or been up there? All right, well, you know what I'm talking about, uh, you Glenwood people. The rest of you should do the cross trail. Do you get out at all? Uh, well, the third level, you get up there, and that's after the steep part, and you got this nice meandering single track through these trees, and it's beautiful. And ah, catch my breath and rejoice that I didn't have cardiac arrest up at this point. And it's beautiful. Ah. And I'm up there yesterday, and uh, it's all been changed. Somebody's been up there with a chainsaw and machines, and they have made it into like this track. 
And instead of this quaint thing, I'm worried that I'm going to get hit by a bicycle or something, and I'm walking on it, and I'm just kind of miffed. And I'm also thinking about this sermon. And, uh, and I'm looking at it, and it occurs to me right after you prayed for me, one of my intercessors. It, it, it occurred to me, hey, wait a minute. This would be so much fun. Yeah, I know I'm 55 and I've been in the hospital because of mountain bikes already and I got all kinds of, oh, terrible stuff and I'm just not ready to get hurt again. No, go get a bike. I'm going to get a bike. I went down. I didn't buy it yet, but I'm going to. And I've talked to my neighbor who's a bike guy. I said, man, I've got to get a bike. And he looked at me and said, you're going to need a big bike, man. And uh, I said, well, give me a big bike. Maybe I need those big tires, you know, I don't know. But I'm going to be fully alive and just bust that trail down. Woohoo! You know, I mean, I, I'm going to... I'm going to enjoy that because uh, it's an expression of God in me. I'm not going to do that to try and find my validity. It's flipped. It's beautiful. It's possibility. Do you look at life with possibility? That's the challenge right there. Are you thinking about what we are going to do? do you, are you thinking about what could happen here? I just, I, I, that's, it, the image of God on you is being fully alive. So before I went on that walk, I, uh, um, I was going, God, show me. I mean, that track thing is good, and a bike will be fun. Uh, but um, I, I went upstairs and um, to, had, my, had my hiking stuff on, and I, wanted, I put my shoes on in the living room. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, this picture was what God gave me was the expression of it. I looked out the window. Uh, my front window, which faces east in Glenwood, which means the sun's coming up, right? And uh, it's starting to get hot. And over uh, on the sidewalk next to my neighbor's house, uh, between us and my neighbor, um, my wife is uh, sitting there on a stool with an easel. And there are these um, honeysuckle flowers that come over these rocks onto the sidewalk. And she is sitting there with her paintbrush and her floppy hat on. And uh, she looks at the flowers and then, and then paints. And I, and I looked at it and I just feel the Holy Spirit say, watch this, watch this. And then, I don't know, after five, ten minutes, she gets up and she walks behind the stool that she's, now she's in the middle of the street and she looks at her painting. She's got her brush like this with her funny rubber glove things on. And she looks, and you can see her looking back and forth. And she lights up with this smile, this beautiful smile. She has a nice smile anyway, but this is like the smile. Now, she wasn't looking at it. I could tell. I could see. It was not, hey, I am such a great artist. Look what I just did. It was just being delighted. Delighted that she created something. And it was beautiful. I mean, isn't that the expression of being in the image of God? He created and we create. And she paints, and this big smile on her face. Somebody who's fully alive. And then she sat down, and she did some more. The neighbor, uh, Sandy, 
came walking, who owns the flowers, came walking down and looks at it. I'm watching all this from my front window. Looks at it. Whoa. And you can, I can't hear what they're saying. I can only see what they're saying. Whoa. You can tell she's saying, I like what you've done here. Wow, that is so beautiful. And Gwen, oh, yeah. Wow. You can just see. You can't even stop. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine. Like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she was sharing what God had done right there. And so then Cheryl Yarrow, she went on the Bolivia trip. This is my neighbor. She's running up the street perpendicular, and she's running by and sees this over here. And she turns in. And she comes up and says, what are you doing? <laughs> and they're talking. And my neighbor on the other side, kind of curmudgeon lady, um, she <laughs> well, then she goes, I'm going to go check it out. And she comes out. Uh, Sharon, neat lady, but older gal. She comes walking up and she goes, beautiful. I can even see it from the, through the thing. Beautiful. It's all there. And they just enjoyed one another. They enjoyed the beauty of the painting. They enjoyed the beauty of the flowers. They enjoyed the beauty of being neighbors together. I think it's just because somebody was fully alive. Fully alive. You can turn and say the truth behind that. What's underneath that? When you are fully alive, just being the fullness of who you are. He came to give you life and life to the full. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. In the way that you do that, you may not be painting flowers, but if you are present and you are pursuing Jesus, follow your dreams and people will turn and want to see what it's all about. You're going to love God because you're passionate like him and it will just give you the opportunity to love people. And that's as simple as it is. That's as simple as it is. So when Jesus flipped the coin out, said, you give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. This cost a lot so that you could do that. Jesus paid it all. He became our image so that he could restore his image in us. And as you take communion... Step up to being beautiful image bearers. Imagio Dei. Let's pray. Lord, for your glory, we want to be fully alive. Forgive us for um, being so weighed down by the burdens that are on us, that are so taxing. Lord, bring... Each one of us who's got a, a story in the middle of, uh, of this and feels like the image has been uh, marred and shamed and uh, all that's honest, we, I pray, Lord, that you'll break that off today because you broke that off at the cross. And that Holy Spirit, hmm, 
pour out your creativity on your people. In the moment-by-moment living that they're going to do today, the people that they're going to talk to, the things that they're going to do, pour it out. We invite you to change the whole nature of this valley because we bear your image and we're available to you. And we've encountered you in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that our neighbors will want to join in and see what's up. In Jesus' name, amen.